So please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 and on page 61. This evening we're focusing in on verse 16, uh, but we'll begin at the start of the chapter to set our context. This is God's word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. As mentioned uh, over the last number of weeks, we have been looking at the Ten Commandments together. And as we have been doing that, I wonder how you have been thinking about God's law. What is your reaction when you hear all these commandments maybe when you hear these commandments it just sounds like one weight upon another weight um, where you feel the burden of what is expected of you from God and in part that is what the law is meant to do Uh, it is highlighting to us the standard of God's righteousness and it is driving us to a realization that we fall short that we cannot uh, fulfill God's law that we need a savior. And it's to drive us ultimately to looking uh, to the Lord Jesus. But when you hear all of these commandments week after week, as you're hearing these commandments that say, do not do this, do not do that, um, it, can, it can feel restraining as well. And maybe uh, you young people, especially as you hear all of these commands, do not do this, do not do that. Uh, it can feel like you're just being tied up in ropes uh, I can't seem to do anything, it sounds like, by these commandments. But if that's how you hear these commandments, uh, it's helpful to flip that around and to look at it another way. 
One person by the name of John Dixon makes a very helpful observation when we think about the commandments of God. He says, few things are forbidden so that everything else can be enjoyed. There are a few things that are prohibited so that we can enjoy life. Because while the commandments are framed in the negative, do not do these things, the life of faith is lived in the positive. What we can enjoy is everything else. John Dixon compared it to going skiing. Maybe you like skiing. And when you go skiing, there are times they'll have markings up on the hill. Uh, In some cases, those markings might even be uh, standing out. Either they're signs or maybe they're orange markings. But those markings on the hill will highlight this, this area is out of bounds. Don't go over this side of the hill. Don't, don't ski over here because it's not been tended to. It needs to be repaired. We need to deal with it. We need to put more snow down. It's dangerous. But all of those markings, if you were at the top of the hill looking down, you might see a series of markings on the hillside. But you don't look at that and say, oh, this is awful. Rather, you realize that those markings there are setting the boundaries. And that as you live within the boundaries of those markings, you can enjoy the hill. You can mark up the hill to your your own contentment and enjoy the hill as it was meant to be enjoyed. And the same thing is true when we think about the law. When we live within the boundaries of God's will, we can enjoy life and we can flourish as God designed So the law, as we've been looking at over these weeks, has been showing us uh, both our, our need of a savior, but it's also highlighting for us something of how we were made to live, what we are to strive to do if we are to live according to God's ways and to flourish ultimately. And as we think about how is it that we should live our lives, one of the boundary markers, one of the vital things that is to characterize or to shape the way that we live our lives is around the issue of the truth. That the truth is something important for structuring and guiding the way that we live our lives. And this evening we want to look at this ninth commandment and we want to see that because God is the source of all truth, that truth is sacred. Because God is the source of truth, we are to protect the truth. We are to guard the truth. We are to promote the truth. We are to live for the truth. The truth is to be important to us because the truth ultimately sets us free. And so we want to think about this uh, idea of the truth, and we want to think about it in three thoughts. We want to think about our dependence on truth. Then we want to think about the distortion of truth, where we see truth going awry. And then finally, we want to think about the display of truth, uh, how truth is given to us ultimately. Well, first, we want to think about uh, the dependence on truth. The ninth commandment is about uh, a concern for the truth and about guarding the truth ultimately from lies. The command says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, The Ten Commandments are given to us uh, on two occasions in the law of God. We read of them here in Exodus 20, but they're also in another book of the Bible, in Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. And it's interesting, when you look at uh, both of those givings of the law, 
The word here for false is different in the two readings of the Ten Commandments. They're not diametrically opposed, but they give different nuances of what the commandment is about. Here in Exodus 20, the word for false means something that is uh, intentionally wrong, something that is intentionally not true. It's talking about uh, uh, lying outright. But in Deuteronomy 5, there is another word that is used, and it is a word that carries the idea of being deceitful. It's the idea of saying something that is insincere. In other words, using your words in such a way as to get something or to protect something uh, at the the cost of truth, being deceptive towards your neighbor uh, in a way that weaponizes your words. And so what that tells us is when we come to the law of God, it's not just technically whether what you said was a lie. The question that this commandment is so concerned about is, did you tell the truth? the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. That's, that's the spirit of the law here. It, it's a concern for guarding what is truth and not misleading someone or distorting the truth that would cause a person to have a, a wrong notion of what actually took place. And, and this commandment is especially concerned with the administration of justice, it is, it is about upholding what is true in court cases. It's about upholding order in society, that the testimony that is being given would bear record to what actually happened. And so uh, why is it that we depend on truth? We depend on truth for the upholding of, of justice. John Mackay makes this point that he says, imagine... A, a, a nation, a kingdom, a land where they have the perfect standard and perfect rules to govern society. They have all the laws that you would want. And they have judges in that land who perfectly carry out the letter of the law. They uphold their role with integrity. They carry out the letter faithfully. All of that means nothing if the evidence is false. It's not enough to have rules in a land. It's not enough to have judges who strive for justice. You need to have truth or the whole of justice and order in society falls down. You have, in the end, tyranny because people are using words to get what they want rather than upholding what actually is true. We depend on truth for the structuring and the ordering of our society in order to uphold order and justice. But we also depend on truth, not just for on a social level in terms of uh, right and wrong and holding people accountable and having restraint on people's actions, that they're going to be accountable for what they do. We depend on truth even on a, on a personal level. Have, have you ever been lied to? Has someone ever spoken to you in a lie? If you had that happen to you, you can't trust that person. When a person lies to you, it is so hard for you to carry on that relationship. It, it requires great effort to, to build that trust again. 
Because when a person lies to you, you begin to doubt other things about what they have said and other things that they have done. That lies are like an acid that eats away at the, the intimacy or the union in relationships. Friendships break apart. Relationships break apart because of lies. And so you think about how important is truth. It's important on a social level because it holds people accountable for what they do. It's important on a personal level because our relationships of intimacy, of trust, are based on them. Is it true what you're saying? Can I really trust you? All of that is built on the integrity of someone's word. So every relationship depends on the integrity of another person's word. But we also depend on truth, we could say even more broadly, when we think about understanding the world that we live in, of making sense of reality itself. It's not just the breakdown of relationships where we see lies as being a problem, but lies undermine a person's ability to coherently account for reality. You think about abusive relationships where a person is emotionally or manipulating another person with their lies. What starts to happen is a fog sets in. A person can't see very well anymore. If you've been in the fog, you can't see very far ahead. You can't see very far behind. You become at a standstill almost. You're slowing down and you're doubting yourself. Am I understanding things right? What else am I getting wrong? How do I make sense of the world that I live in? Lies have a way of undermining a person's ability to account for the world that they live in. Everything becomes shaken. And that's why scripture tells us that God hates lying. Six things that the Lord hates, seven things that are an abomination, and half of them do deal with the tongue. Those who slander their brother, those who speak lies, because they are tearing down a person's ability to understand the world and to make sense of their reality, because it breaks down the intimacy of trust, because it ruins righteousness in the world. And so we are people that we can't escape the importance of truth. We depend on it on a social level, on a personal level, but also in terms of making sense of the world that we live in. How do I understand this world? We need the truth. But this commandment is given because there is a propensity in our hearts to distort the truth, to hide the truth, to bury the truth. And we do this in all kinds of ways. We can do it simply by lying. You think about uh, in the early church, you remember how Stephen... Uh, Someone that was bold in his testimony about the Lord Jesus. And he was filled with grace. And we're told that his opponents, those who did not believe in the Lord Jesus, were uh, spurred uh, to animosity towards Stephen. And because they could not answer his reasoning, they could not answer his, his claims, it tells us that they privately instigated people to bring up false charges against him. To lie in order to kill him. The intention was to weaponize lies in order to regain control of the situation. And we can do that just as well. We can lie 
And the reason why we lie is because it seems safe. You think of a, a young child. They might walk, you might walk into a room and you see there's coloring all on the, uh, the wall. They, there's Crayola marker all over the wall. And the child is there with marker on their hand and a marker in their hand. And you ask them, did you mark on the wall? And the child very calmly says, no. It must have been the baby brother. It must have been the baby sister that did that. Even though all the evidence is right there in front of them. Even though it's their parent. They still won't admit to the truth. Why? Because it doesn't seem safe. It seems safer to them to hide behind lies. Because if I lie, then I feel like I'm in control. And I won't be held accountable for what I did. As we grow up, we become more sophisticated, but we can still be guilty of lying in order to protect ourselves, in order to avoid being held accountable for what we do. We think we can escape any punishment because the truth is dangerous to us. We can break this commandment not only by outright lying, but even when it comes to concealing the truth, In Leviticus 5, it says, If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he is seen or or come, to know the matter, yet he does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. What was the law saying there? If you know something about what happened to your neighbor, and you don't come forward to speak, you're injuring your neighbor by withdrawing passively from the situation. You're not trying to promote what is right, but rather you're letting lies to promote themselves. And so the law tells us that we are not to conceal or to hide the truth, but we are to promote what is true so that righteousness might be established. And so here we can, uh, as one person says, withholding testimony uh, is ultimately a perversion of justice. We can be guilty of rash judgment. You remember as we went through the book of Samuel, one of David's situations was as he was told that Mephibosheth had betrayed him, that he had switched his loyalties. When Ziba came and told these things to David, in the moment David jumped to the conclusion that Ziba was telling him the truth. And it altered the way that he looked at Mephibosheth. He jumped to a conclusion And the reputation of Mephibosheth was broken as a result. We can be guilty of entertaining lies and of jumping to conclusions before ultimately looking into matters more carefully. And so we should be checking our own motives. Uh, Do I presume the innocence of another person or do I presume the person's guilt? Uh, So dealing carelessly with another person's reputation and with the matter of truth itself Uh, in a flippant way. Uh, We can be guilty uh, of this commandment even when we think about slander as well. When we're tearing down and destroying another person, we can be using truth with a destructive end, ultimately to to demean another person. Again, as a way of self-protection even, that I'll speak badly about another person so that we're all in the same bad level. That I may be bad, but so is this person. Uh, we, can, we can slander another person uh, uh, and distort the truth and the way that people look at other people. 
So all of this is highlighting to us when we look at the law of God that truth is something that is important. Again and again and again, the scriptures stress to us the importance of the truth. That doesn't mean that one must always tell the truth to all people indiscriminately. There are other principles that come into play. We may have to be thinking, does this person need to know these things? Why am I telling them these things? There is a wisdom aspect to all of this as well. But we should be concerned about the integrity of truth. That, that we would be people of the truth. Because we believe that there is truth to be known. That not everything is relative. That not everything is just one person's opinion against another person's opinion. That there is an objective way of looking at things. And ultimately, that objective way conforms to God's vantage point, as God sees it, as God knows it. So this commandment is telling us about the importance of truth. We need it when we think about our society. We need it when we think about our relationships. We need it when we think about our own individual existence. How do I live in this world? How do I know which way to go? But we see the problem Because we can be people who deny the truth, covering it up to get away from responsibility. We can be people who doubt the truth, living skeptically and questioningly of uh, what is binding on us. But ultimately, we are to be people who live in light of uh, the truth that is revealed to us uh, in God's word. The display of the truth ultimately is found in God's grace. One of the effects of the fall is not uh, only seen in the fact that we live with a distrust on the ability of our legal systems. It's not only in the, uh, seen in the breakdown of relationships, but most of all in the fact that people question whether there is truth at all. The question that Pilate asked, what is truth, is a question that we wrestle with. Is there any truth with a capital T? And if we're going to find truth with a capital T that's binding on me as it's binding on you, then ultimately it can't just be my, from my point of view. It must transcend our experiences. It must come from God himself. If there is truth, it must come from God. And it's his word, it is his uh, uh, will uh, that tells us how we are to live in his world. It is only when we live in light of the God of all truth that it dispels the lies and makes known the truth. When Paul wrote uh, to Titus, he explained himself to being a servant of God. And he said that he was a servant of God for the sake of the faith of God's elect and of their knowledge of the truth. But then Paul explained what he meant by that. That they would come to the knowledge of the truth and then he anchored it by saying, And we know that God never lies. Truth is rooted in God. God tells us the truth. God has spoken in a way that shows that he is faithful over history. His promises come to pass. His reliability has been shown to be faithful. And so Paul here tells us that if we are to know truth, it is to go back to who God is. He is the God of all truth, and he has spoken, and we are to listen to his voice. And only then do we come to know ourselves, our world, and our God. 
If you're sitting here this evening with the question of Pilate, what is truth? How can we actually know what the truth is? Then ask yourself this. Do you know the promises of God? Do you see God's faithfulness over history to those promises? But then secondly, ask yourself, does God's word give you a coherent explanation of who you are? Does it give you a coherent explanation of who God is? And does it give you a coherent explanation of the world you live in? Does it fit? We all have to make sense of the world that we live in. And here, God's word is revealed to us as from God. So test it. So, so put it to practice. See whether it stands up to scrutiny. Because the God of all truth is not afraid of being challenged. He's not afraid of, being, uh, of wrestling over these matters. He is faithful. And as we live in light of his word, we can live with confidence because he tells us what we need to know. And we begin to have clarity about things. We're not left in a fog of uncertainty. We're not left with a a breakdown of trust. But we're able to have trust in others. We're able to have trust in God through his word. We're able to see order in society. And that as people live in light of God's will, things come together right as they should. Not only does it explain the human condition, but we see that it's right when it is applied, when it comes to fruition. Not only is God the source of all truth, but he sent his son into this world to bear witness to the truth. Jesus says, I have come into this world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who listens to, uh, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus tells us about our own sins, but he also tells us about the grace of God. He tells us that he has come to establish his kingdom and that all who come unto him will be saved. So Jesus is the source of truth. You know, there is one time in Jesus' ministry when Jesus was being challenged about his authority. And Jesus said something very convicting. Jesus says, which one of you convicts me of sin? Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? So which is it? Do you see sin that you can charge against Jesus? Can you find fault and accuse him of being wrong or of being deceitful? Or if Jesus is telling us the truth, what prevents you from believing everything that he says and living in response to everything that he has done? Jesus was concerned about the truth because we depend on it, because we need it. And Jesus came to make the truth known so that we might be set free. So the display of the truth comes ultimately through the Son of, the, uh, Son of God, the Lord Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the truth. That when we come to Jesus, we understand all things. And we can live with certainty in God's world, of God's grace, of God's uh, salvation from sin and how we can live with one another. But we see the display of the truth as well 
by the people of God. Those who come to believe in the Lord Jesus treasure the truth and live with a confidence in God's truth. You notice that's what Paul was doing there in Ephesians 4. He was talking about putting off and putting on. Put off the old self, which is falsehood. Put on the new self, which is truth. Speaking the truth to one another in love. Why is it that people are afraid of the truth? It's because the truth exposes. It's because the truth seems dangerous. It's because the truth seems to threaten us. For those who come to faith in Jesus, the truth is the opposite. The truth becomes their safety. That's why Paul can say, not only do they speak the truth, but they speak the truth in love. Because the truth is meant to bless. It's not a weapon to control. It's not a weapon to manipulate. It's to set a person free. It's to build them up. And so as Paul is speaking all these things, he says in Ephesians 4 that they are to speak the truth uh, to uh, their neighbors. And he says, for we are members one of another. Do you see the picture that he's emerging here as he talks about the church? You are the people of the truth. You are the people who believe that there is truth. You've come to know the God of all truth. You are meant to be a sanctuary of truth. The way that you talk to one another should confide in people that there is truth in this world. Because many are living their lives questioning whether there is any truth. Many people are living their lives denying that there's any truth. Everything's relative. Nothing matters. There's no meaning. But in the church, amongst the people of God, they are to speak to one another the truth. Because they have come to know the truth. And as that sanctuary stands out in this world, they become a light that other people would come and be attracted to the truth. Because the truth will not destroy them when they embrace it. The truth is not something that threatens them ultimately when they see that it is a message of salvation. The truth is ultimately their safety. The truth will set them free. So why is it that we should be so concerned about the truth? It's because we depend on it. But ultimately, it's because God is the God of truth. And when we see what God has said, it shapes all of reality. It brings joy. It brings liberty. And then we can ski the snow hill and enjoy life as we were meant to. No longer living with the web of lies, but living with the clarity that comes from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about words and communication, as we speak about speech and how we treat one another, help us, Lord, to realize that we are people that crave truth, to know which way to go, to know Uh, and to listen to others, and to long to be able to trust them. We pray, Lord, that this desire within us would find its fulfillment in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would understand the truth of our sin is something that humbles us, but the truth of your salvation is something that saves us. So, Lord, help us not to be people who live burying the truth, hiding from it,
as though it is a threat ultimately. But help us, Lord, to see in it our safety and our salvation. Go before us, we pray, in Jesus' name.